We started a new series uh, last week on Easter Sunday. We called it Beginning. Because we want to talk about everything. Well, I mean, we want to talk about everything. We want two different thoughts. One is everything has a beginning. Everything has a starting point. Everything has a place where it's inception. And we're, we're saying that for faith. And maybe for you, it was when you were a little guy and your faith journey started and then you just walked away from God. And just there were several reasons for that, but you walked away from God. And that might be your story. And you might need a new beginning. Or, or, or maybe you're totally new to this. You have no idea. Somebody invited you, and you're here, and you're glad to be here. But it's like, oh, man, I don't know. And you just need a beginning. And so we started last week, a beginning. So this week, it's, we're, we're pretty new. So we're going to ask a very simple question, and it's this. We're going to try to answer this question. What's a Christian? So what's a Christian? This, was an, this is a question that came into my mind very early on in my life. The reason was is because my mother, seeing that I was growing up and probably looking at me as a little bit of a troubled child, she tried to uh, uh, steer me clear from the wrong path. And so she thought, oh, it's a good idea to send him to church. Not that she would go to church, not that she would pursue Jesus, but that, that she would just send me to a church hoping that that they would help me out and, and direct me. And I remember being there. It was a charismatic church. I'll never forget. This is my introduction to who God is. And so I was there, and it was a charismatic church. And people in this particular charismatic church started to do, like, I don't know how to explain it, like laps around the sanctuary. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that where they start doing laps. And then, like, you know, people high-five them, and they go, oh, 13 seconds and 14, 13.14 seconds, you know, the first time. And then, oh, 12.6 seconds the next time. It was, like, faster. And so it was, like, it was like people were very, very enthusiastic about God there, for sure. Like, that would be one way to describe it. They were super enthusiastic about God. And I remember as a little child, I just didn't understand it. I couldn't, I couldn't comprehend it. And so I was, I was actually taken aback by it. It was a little too much enthusiasm for me. And so I remember, I remember this thought early on. Really, this was the thought that I had. It was this. If this is what it means to be a Christian, I want nothing to do with it. Like, if this, if this was like being a Christian looks like, I want nothing to do with it. Now, I know that some of you grew up in some charismatic um, churches that you rejoiced in that. And, and I don't want to make fun of it. I'm not trying to make fun of it. I'm, I'm saying, well, actually, I did try to make a couple of jokes, so forgive me of my jokes. But what I am saying is that it's something that you grew up in, and it was like, oh, man, this solidified my faith. But for me, I was young, and it just turned me off. If this is what it means to be a Christian, I want nothing to do with it. What, what, what is a Christian? Maybe, maybe some of you had a similar experience, but not exactly. Like, but, but where at the end of the experience, you said, if this is what it means to be a Christian, then I want nothing to do with it. Maybe for you, maybe, maybe you were real young, and a person who sat in the same position that I sit in, a person of authority within the church, um, maybe... Maybe they did things that they shouldn't have done to you. And you thought to yourself, well, if this is what it means to be a Christian, I want nothing to do with it. Maybe, 
maybe that wasn't you. Maybe you were a person who uh, perhaps you went through high school and you went through college and you saw a couple of programs on the History Channel and read a couple of articles in the New York Times. And, and, and your impression was that Christians weren't very bright, that they, they, you had to check your brains at the door. If you were going to believe, you'd have to check your brains at the door. And so you thought, well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I want nothing to do with it. What does it mean? What is it to be a Christian? Maybe some of you went to like some uh, churches that were dry and boring, right? In fact, when you came in here, you were like, okay, these guys feel closer to the first example that you gave. They seem a little too enthusiastic. I feel a little uncomfortable. The music is a little too loud. But you came in, and it was just boring, and it didn't really have, you know, Christ didn't really have application in your life. And so you were like, uh, I don't know if this is the place. I don't, I don't, I don't know that I want to be a Christian. So what's a Christian? Or maybe, maybe you had parents who were like leaders in the church, right? They were saints in the community and ain'ts at home. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, they, were, they, they, they spoke and acted a certain way within the context of the church community. And then at home, it was kind of a different vibe, a different feel, you know? It was maybe... Not as loving, not as, yeah. And you thought to yourself, man, if this is what it means to be a Christian, I want nothing to do with it. But the question we're asking is, of course, what is a Christian? Now, God knows that many of us, if not all of us, are going to go through times where we ask that question, what is a Christian? And if this is what it means to be a Christian, maybe I don't want anything to do with it. Maybe I'm, this is where, this is my stop. This is where I get off. Today, we're going to, we're going to look at that question, and we're going to try to answer it. And it's so important to answer. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. In all of our lives, we have a supreme commanding authority in our lives, directing and guiding us. And that's true for every... You're a Christian, that's true. If you're not a Christian, that's true. If you're a believer in... Uh, if you're an atheist, if you have no belief in God at all, that's true for you. Everyone has this thing that they would consider true north for them. It's not necessarily something that you think about in uh, your head, like implicitly, but, or explicitly rather, but, but this is true. For some people it's one thing, and for some it, it's the other. Here's my point. My point is, is that to be a Christian, as we're going to find out, is to have Christ at the head and the authority and the founding um, the North Star of your life. And if that's true, then that means he changes the way we do marriage. He changes the way we raise our children. He changes the way we absorb hurts and respond to people who have wounded us. He changes the way we do clean time and, and sobriety. He changes the way we um, act towards others he changes everything. He changes the way we eat. He changes the way we shop. Jesus affects everything. So if that's the case, then what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to be a Christian? So 
we're going to look at our text today. Now, we're in this new series. Here's um, something that I wanted to give you a heads up on. We're going to spend three weeks on the text that we're going to read today. Today, I can only go as far as the first verse. It's that dense. It's so thick and so full of truth and beauty that we're going to have to spend a little bit of time on this text if we're going to answer the question, how, how do we begin this Christian journey? So I, 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 we could have raced through it, but I felt like it would have been an injustice to you. So I didn't want to do that. So today, God has us uh, looking at Matthew 9, 9 through 17. In your bulletins, if you're new and you didn't bring your Bible, it's cool. We have, a, uh, we have in your bulletins the scriptures written out in big enough font that even if you're as old as I am, you can read. And uh, so they're there. Also, we'll have it on the screen. But we, all, we do encourage you to bring your Bibles. It's just good to have your own Bible, circle, underline. If God speaks to you, you can come back later, make, make a note in the margin. Mark up your Bible. I know some of you think that's sacrilegious, but no, God wants us to engage with the Scriptures. And so again, today's big idea, we're going to find out what is a Christian. Now, before I go on and read the text, let me just say this. If you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time, this is going to be a wonderful opportunity for you to reflect on who Christ is and are we, are we, who are Christians for a while, are we following him the way he calls And if you're not a Christian, this is a great opportunity for you to reflect and actually pursue Jesus. But this, I think God is going to speak to each one of us no matter where we are in our maturity. So uh, if you would stand at the reading of God's word, we're going to read a long passage. Again, today we're only going to go through verse 9, but um, we're going to read the entire passage. It'll be good for our souls and, and good preparation for next week and the week after as well. Okay, on a count of, th- count of three, in a nice, strong voice, let's read together. One, two, three. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. 
Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. This is God's Word. Please have a seat. What's a Christian? What we're going to see in the Scriptures is Jesus, Jesus' calling of Matthew. And it was so profound that I didn't think it was wise for us to skip over it or just to kind of lightly go over it. I want to kind of do a deep dive on just this first verse that we read. Verse 9. What is it? What is a Christian? Hopefully we'll be able to answer that today. Look at what it says. As Jesus went on from there, Jesus is doing healings. He's moving around. He's coming from Capernaum. What's interesting, and I might re-say re this throughout these next three weeks. You know what's interesting? That Matthew, Matthew is writing um, just before this. He's writing about the raising up of a, a dead person, right? And he raises, and then after this, there's another miracle like that where he heals. Now, here's the thing. Why would Matthew, because Matthew's writing this, why would Matthew sandwich his story, his testimony in between healing? Why would he do that? Matthew's not just haphazardly writing things down. Matthew was inspired by the Spirit of God. Ultimately, Christians believe that God is the author of the text. And so what was God thinking that when he would put Matthew's testimony, and I think it has something to do with this, I think that there's no more incredible miracle than when a person who's not down with Jesus gets down with Jesus. There's nothing more beautiful that when a person who is far from Christ gets near to Christ, it's tantamount to a miracle. It's tantamount to the dead coming to life. I don't know if you remember this. In the World Trade Center, when the World Trade, I mean, how can we forget, right? The World Trade Center, when it came down after the attacks on it on 9-11, there was days afterwards, days afterwards where people would walk around and literally speak to rocks. Do you remember this? It was firemen, it was volunteers, it was people, and they would walk around and speak to rocks and they would go, hello, hello, is there anybody there? And they would, on the, maybe the first two days, maybe three days, I don't think it went as far as three days, I, I don't think they found anyone after three days, but I, I, every time they found, it was unbelievable. Like, people were like, yo, there's somebody here. They would lift this up. The person would have no strength. Could you imagine? After everything that they had gone through, they were sapped of strength. They would, they would literally get machinery, and people would, like, make their hands bloody to lift up rocks and just, like, carry the person. And people would lose their minds. Why? Because someone who was dead came to life. The Bible says that there is a celebration in heaven that you and I can't even imagine. Your, the parties that you used to go through, go through 
are nothing in comparison to the celebration. Because when, when there's a miracle of a person coming from death to life in Christ, beloved, it changes everything. I think that's the reason why Matthew put this story in between two miracles. Because he knows the story of him being saved is an incredible miracle. Now, if you're here and you've been saved, I need you to reflect on that. You're a miracle. You were dead in your trespasses. There was nothing within yourself that could possibly have saved you. You need to sort of celebrate that, sit in that, take a bath in the goodness of God that he saved you from, from listen, from the death that you were living to a, an eternal glory with him. Man, I know you struggle with stuff. I know you're not where you wish you would be. I know that you still wrestle with this or that, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I'm telling you, boy, I, I don't care what, what, that guy who was under all the rocks, didn't matter what his credit score was. It didn't matter, nothing mattered. What mattered was that he came from death to life. As Christians, we need to reflect on that. That needs to be the hallmark of our lives, especially those of us who struggle with depression because our identity is found in being saved, and it's a greater miracle than a dead person coming back to life. So let's look at this again. We're just on the first verse, so let's look at it. As Jesus went on from there, coming from Capernaum, doing these miracles, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And I think this gives us an idea of our first point. What is it, and what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, a Christian is called away from his identity. What is a Christian? Uh, first thing we know is that a Christian is called from his identity. Anybody know how Matthew is uh, identified in the scriptures before he comes to Christ? He's Matthew the tax collector. It was how he was known. It's Matthew the tax collector, not Matthew Gertrude's kid, not Matthew, you know, Amon's son. No, 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 no. It's Matthew, the tax collector. He had adopted an identity. Look at me. Look at me. This is important. He had adopted an identity that was synonymous with sin. Let me tell you about what I mean by that. Tax collectors were so bad, and we just read it. You know, Jesus had a party with sinners and tax collectors. How bad do you have to be in order to have your own category in the sinner uh, story, right? Like, how bad do you have to be? Like, you know, if someone said, you know, um, yeah, yeah, you know, we're getting together um, the most influential pastors uh, of New York and Edwin. (laughs) That would say something, wouldn't it? It would say something, right? Yeah, like, like if my mother came up and said, oh my gosh, I got to show you my favorite kids. And Edwin, you come too. You know, that would say something. I would be like, mm-hmm, you just said a mouthful, didn't you? In the text, they say, Matthew, that Jesus ate with the sinners and the tax collectors. The tax collectors were a hated group of people. They were, in fact, so despised that nobody wanted anything to do with them so far as walking across the street. Have you ever had somebody, have you ever been the person that people crossed the street when they saw you? Matthew's that guy. In fact, it was so strong that we know still. Like many, some of us might remember what Paul was 
before. It was like Saul of Tarsus, right? Some of us could pull that out of our memory because we know the Bible some. But, but all of us could go, oh yeah, Matthew, the tax collector. It was something that marked him. It was something that identified him. Let me tell you, um, if you're a Christian, Jesus calls you from your identity. Here's what I mean by that. Every one of us has an identity. If you're not sure what it is, just look down to how you're dressed. Some of us are dressed like this is what we want to give off. So I'm dressed in this way. I want to be taken sort of seriously, but I want to be seen as cool too. This is my attempt at serious and cool. Okay? That's my, right? You, got, you feel me? Now, now, what's yours? What's yours? Yeah? Got any 40-year-old thugs in the house? Yeah? Yeah? Couple of us? Yeah? I'm, I'm not going to tease the thugs too much. They might have to prove something. But I'm saying, I'm saying, here's my point. We all have an identity that we either feel strongly attached to and are conscious of or are unconscious of. Everyone has an identity. Listen to me. Jesus calls us away from whatever our identity was. You might have been John the crackhead. You might have been Susie the corporate raider. I don't know. Jesus found Matthew in the midst of his mess, in the midst of his sin, in the midst of what he was identified with and says, I'm going to call you. He found Matthew doing what Matthew always does. Beloved, if you ever get found by Jesus, he'll find you doing what you always do. He'll find you. Jesus will find you being you for sure. That's true. And it should give us a, a cause to pause because here's my problem. My problem is I kind of like my identity. I like my identity. Don't call me out of my identity. My identity is how I identify myself. My identity is how I view myself. My identity is how I want the world to see me. And Jesus is calling me out of that into a new identity we will see. But it's a scary thing. Not Ed the Puerto Rican, not Ed the pastor, not, no, Jesus is calling. There's a new identity. Now that means something. Because for many of us, for many of us, we don't want to come to Jesus unless we can get our identities affirmed. Let me, let me tell you, all right, let's, let's see if we can't mess around here and, 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 and go into places that I think are offensive to me and might be offensive to you. There might be a sense where you would come and you would, and, you know, people ask me this of a million different ones. I'll just choose uh, two pretty, um, uh, they might be controversial. I think they will be. Um, yeah. Um, so people will say something like this. Yes, but what does Jesus, what does your church feel about? What, which is to say, what, is the, you know, what does the Bible say? Before I go to Jesus, what does your church think about divorce? What does your church think about homosexuality? What does your church think about money? 
Why? Why? Why would anybody ask me that? Why would anybody ask you that? Because there's an identity that they're connected to. And they want to know if Jesus is on the same program, on the same wavelength, will Jesus affirm the identity that I presently hold? How will Jesus feel about gender issues? How does Jesus feel about sexuality issues? How does Jesus feel about money issues. Now, some of you are looking at me and you're going, oh, where are you going with this? You're even shutting down now because you don't have Christ as, as your identity. You have money as your identity. You have sexuality as your identity. You have gender as your identity. And because Jesus comes and he pokes at your identity, you know this intuitively. And so you go, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we go any further, what is, will Jesus affirm this? To which at that point, I go, you've started on the wrong foot. You're on the wrong road. You see, if Jesus is who he said it, and I'm going too deep into the... So Jesus calls Matthew out of his identity. And he has to call him out of his identity because when we come to Christ, the Christian we find is a person who's not only called away from his identity, but is called to the Savior. He's not only called away from his identity, he's called to the Savior. Let me see if I could. Jesus is calling you out of this. Now, it could be a lifestyle, right? Because it's Matthew, the tax collector. Actually, it was Levi. It's interestingly enough, Matthew doesn't call himself uh, Levi. In Mark and Luke, they call him Levi when they're telling the story because they're saying how he, um, Levi, how he was back then, how he was identified, Levi the tax collector. But Matthew, at this point in his life, only sees himself as Matthew, the saved one, the one who's honored by God, the one who belongs to Jesus. He's been transformed. You see, God, a Christian is not only a person who's called away from his identity. Listen, your money, what is, what, how much do you have to give to the church? What about sexuality? What about this and that and the third? Beloved, You're missing the point. Jesus is not asking for part of you. All of you. And all of you is to be consumed with Christ. A Christian is not only a person who's called away from his identity, he's called, a Christian is called to the Savior. That means Jesus becomes my new identity. And as we were saying, not only am I called out of my identity, Edwin, the whatever mask you want to put on. I remember, I mean, I've had so many great friends who I've gotten to see mature, but like I've, I, I, I've you know, I'm, I attend 12-step meetings and I remember friends who come in on the first day looking like they could kill a brick, like they're just murderers, like, you know, Like, you can't look at them, you can't, they have, they have, they're, they're, listen, they're putting their, their identity in front of them. You can clearly see who they are, where they're from. Don't mess with me, right? Some of them go as far as getting tattoos, like, on, like, real, like, like, wow, man, that's, that's an interesting place for a tattoo, man. And it's like, and I'm not making fun of that, I'm just saying, no, I'm saying it's saying something, it's saying something, it's saying something, I'm not making fun, God forbid. 
I'm not, I'm not making fun of it. I'm saying that it says something, that there is an identity, there is a, that there's a mask that you're putting forward, and Jesus is calling you out of your mask. Jesus is calling you, but not only, he doesn't call you out of, out of it into nothing. He calls you into himself so that your identity is found in Christ. Beloved, if your identity is found in Christ, then you're unsinkable. If your identity is found in Christ, then you're unmovable. If your identity is found in Christ, look at what he says. He goes, as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. There's the old identity, and here's the new identity. Follow me. Follow me. I'm not just calling you from your past, from your masks, from your identity. I'm calling you into something new. I'm calling you into something glorious. I'm calling you into something other. You're unsinkable when this happens. A Christian is a person who is called into Christ. So what does that mean? That means, right, because if you're in your old identity, and let's say, for instance, your identity was that you could really, I mean, oh, man, you had a nice knuckle game. Nobody could mess with you. And let's say that was true for the first 40, 30, 20, maybe it was true for the first 50 years of your life, right? And then what happens, right? Nobody beats Father Time. But, but you still, in your mind, have it that you could take on the world. Well, what happens to that identity at one point? Oh my gosh, it gets shattered in the worst possible way, right? Because you only find out that that identity is not you anymore when it's really too late. I was, uh, I was in the train, true story. This was like, I, I wish I could tell you this whole story. It was like, it, it was like a movie. The tension was unbelievable. So I'm, I'm in the, the, the train, and there's these two guys who are on the corner, and they are doing... They're, they're smoking something I have never tried before but think I want to after I saw them. They were like into something good. I don't know what it was. But they were on a different planet. Different planet. So the kid comes out. Like, so they go in between the cars and they do this stuff. And they come out and that kid is like rapping and he's doing his old thing. And it's like, but and then he like loses his mind and all that other stuff. There's this like, you know, he starts, you know, creating tension within the, the train station, and so, like, people start moving out. Then there's this really burly-looking guy. If, you, if, you see, if you've ever seen Kimbo Slice, you have an idea of how burly this dude looked, like, like a really strong, stout-looking guy, listening to his rap music on his phone with no headphones. Have you ever had that? Like, you know, I learned the Drake song because of this guy, okay? No idea who Drake is? No, I know. Thank you very much. So... He's listening, and you could tell that he's getting very, very annoyed. Tension increasing. Then there's this, I don't know if you've ever seen those skinny Puerto Rican dudes, right? Skinny. This dude was zero joke. Put the fear of God in my heart, and he wasn't even addressing me. The guy goes like this. The guy goes, yo. And he, and he says, sir, please have a seat. Now, he doesn't say it exactly like that. I can't tell you how he said it. I can't tell you how he said it. He, he, he commanded that kid to sit down and stop acting the, acting the fool. The kid got, in Spanish we say bravo. He got, uh, what's the word? What's, um, yeah, 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 like, like, like gutsy. You know, he got, he got like gumption, right? Like gutsy. And the guy said something that chilled me to the heart. 
he, he was there. I'd never seen him before. I'd never seen those two guys before. But he looked down and he, took, he told the kid, he goes, yo, ask your homeboy about me. I'll knock you. <laughs> Whenever anybody says, ask somebody who they never met before about him, I'm taking their word that they're the real deal. I don't know. When the Puerto Rican guy said, ask your homeboy about me, I was like, <laughs> I'm not asking nobody. I'll take your word for it. Thank you very much. You're the toughest guy, clearly, in this thing. Well, evidently, the guy asked him about him and stopped messing around, right? Now, here's my point. That's awesome until it's not. Until that guy says, until he tells that to somebody who he didn't ask about. And his whole identity is crushed in the most violent ways. See, some of us have our identities in things that don't last and don't satisfy ultimately. Jesus calls us, if you're a tough guy, Jesus calls us out of that identity. That's not your identity. If you're a black guy, that's not your identity. You're a Puerto Rican guy, that's not your identity. If you're a guy, that's not your identity. If you're a girl, that's not your identity. Your identity is not in what you think. Your identity, Jesus is calling us, is to himself. And therefore, we are unsinkable. So if I'm in that train and that guy picks a fight with me, I don't have to prove my identity with my knuckle game. I can go, you win. You got this one. Because my identity is not in my macho-ness. My identity is in Christ. If my wife comes up to me and says, you're not a very good husband, I don't have to defend that. I don't have to go, how could you say that after all I've done for you? You dare talk to me like that? You're so different. No, 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 beloved. Easy, easy. Honey, we can talk about this. You know why? Because my identity is not found in your opinion. You see, Jesus is not only calling us out of this identity, Matthew the tax collector, but he's calling us into a new identity, follow me. And this is anathema to a bunch of people because we just got to be known by what we're known by. Some of us are carrying around little nicknames that they gave us when we were kids because we're known by that. It's not your identity. And this is great news. This is great news because if you've been a mess up your whole life, you don't have to be crushed by that. That doesn't have to be your identity anymore. Let me tell you something. Uh, uh, your record, your, your, your criminal record might be permanent, but your old identity doesn't have to be. In other words, your biography does not have to be. Does your the way you were viewed in the past does not have to be the way you go forward in the future. Your biography is not your destiny. See, a Christian is not only called away from his identity, a Christian is called to the Savior, Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are new creations. You know what that does? That means whatever was driving you in your business it changes. Because now it's not about getting the sale. Now it's about honoring Jesus, being in Christ. Now it's not about hitting the quota. That won't make you the big deal. That won't make you the big shot. Now it's, be, it's resting in Christ. Now that doesn't make us any less uh, effective in our businesses, any less effective in our uh, uh, marriages. No, it makes us more so because we no longer have to prove anything to ourselves or to anybody else for that matter. So what's a Christian? A Christian is a person who's called away from his identity and a person who is called to the Savior. And then thirdly, this is a big deal. 
The third one is a big deal, okay? The Christian is one who actually answers the call. Answers the call. You see, we've got to answer the call, beloved. There has to be a sense where we... Look, look at it at the text. If you don't believe me, look at it at the text. He says, he, uh, uh, tax collectors, follow me, he told them. Jesus told Matthew. And Matthew, what, what happened next? Got up and followed him. He got up and followed him. Do you wonder why you're living such a defeated life? Because Jesus has called you out of your identity into him and you haven't followed him. Most miserable person I know, most miserable people group that I know is the person who knows the call of God and doesn't respond to the call of God. It's the most miserable person I know. Beloved, there's a response to Jesus. He's saying, no, your whole identity is not who you are. What your mom said about you, what the culture says about you, what you say about you, that is not who you are. I made you, I know. I'm calling you into myself. I'm calling you to follow me. I'm calling you to walk in me. Your response is some other time. Believe me, we answer this question a thousand times a day. How we talk to our spouses, are we answering his call to follow him? And how we talk to our spouses, respond to our workplaces. The way we view media, the kind of media that we actually consume. See, a Christian is not only a person who's called from his identity and is called to the Savior, but answers the call and says, Jesus, None of this stuff about, what do you think about, wait, 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 before I get to you, what do you think about divorce? What do you think about money? What do you think about homosexuality? What do you think, wait, Jesus, before I get to you, what do you think about, what do you think about, what do you think about? Because I really want to, I, I, I just want you to be one among other things in my life. I have several rulers in my life. I'd like you to be one of them because you're pretty good with that forgiveness thing and I don't want to feel guilty. So I like that. So won't you just come to that? See, no, 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 no. Jesus is saying something utterly utterly different. He follows Jesus. So that means if Jesus says, hey, listen, hey, listen, I want you to pluck out your eye because your eye is causing you to sin. Then the response is like, nah, man, you asking too much. No, 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 get to plucking. If he says, cut off your arm because your right hand is causing you to sin. Your response is to be dragged. Well, you understand what I'm saying by that, that some of us, listen, for, for you, cutting off your arm or um, plucking out your eye, it might be just something as simple as this. You're so unmanageable with money, you need to cut up all your credit cards. And you go, no, oh, now we got to something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, I can't do that. Yeah, but you're unmanageable with your money, and Jesus doesn't want you to be a slave to your credit. He wants to be a slave to Jesus, because Jesus, when we're a slave to Jesus, we find liberty. When we're a slave to anything else, we find bondage. Why not? Oh, because I haven't answered the call. Now I understand. Now I get it. Oh, you haven't answered the call. I, I see now. It's clear. Oh, oh, why am I still messing with this temptation? Haven't answered the call. Still sitting at the booth, thinking about whether I'm going to follow Jesus. Maybe good idea, some days it's better than others. As the musicians come up, 
We're starting at the beginning. We ask the question, what is a Christian? A Christian is someone who is called away from his identity. He's called to the Savior, and he answers the call. Why could he answer the call? Well, let's ask ourselves this. You see, Jesus can't ever ask you to do anything that he hasn't done 10 trillion times more than you. No act of obedience. What is your act of obedience? Well, if, I, if I'm obedient to Jesus, if I respond to his call here, then I won't have this kind of pleasure this evening. Really? Really? Yeah, that's the thing. Jesus is calling you, and he's saying, no, 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 no. I don't want you to try to reform that lover. I don't want you to reform that dating experience. What I need you to do is get away from it because you're both following two different directions. You want to follow Jesus. She or he wants to follow something else. What? I don't know. And you go, no, 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 but I got to have this relationship. Oh, I get it, I get it, I get it. You got your identity somewhere else. It's in that guy's pocket. Now I understand. Now I understand. Answer the call. So you're going to answer the call. Come on, it's no fun. It's no fun. The best, the best our lives could be would be to be rested in Christ. Not the easiest. I can, I can attest to that. It's painful and difficult, but the most beautiful. Listen to me. And here's the deal. You won't go to him unless he calls you. That's why the call comes first. But just respond to the call. Would you respond to the call? What's keeping you? Is it your old identity? Yeah? Is that what's keeping you from responding to the call? I don't know. What's keeping you from responding to the call of Christ? I remember. It was years ago. I had been going to church. I had attended a couple of Bible studies. And... They told me how God would speak to men in powerful ways. And one day I was sleeping and I woke up. The alarm clock had gone off and on. I was the only one in the house. The alarm clock went off and on. I was in my 20s, early 20s, early to mid 20s. And I went to the kitchen and I, and I went to see the time. And it was interesting. It was, I still remember the time. This, this happened over 20 years ago. It was 2.22. The reason you ask, why would you remember that? It's because as soon as I was walking away, something in the back of my mind said, I know today was the Lord speaking to my heart, said, Jeremiah, 2.22. Now, here's what you got to know about me. By that point, I was clean. I hadn't used drugs or drank any alcohol in a really long time. I was better to my, what was my girlfriend then, who's my wife now. I was better to her than I had ever been. I was less violent, less, less abusive. I, I was less addicted or, or less going back to um, all these illicit things that I used to do. I was doing that a lot less. And I thought, oh, man, I'm a Christian, man, because I'm going to church and I'm clean and everything is great. And I was going attending Bible studies. 
And it was like, wow, Jeremiah 2.22. I hadn't even been around Christians long enough to know that there was a, such a thing as a book called Jeremiah in the Bible. I didn't know that existed. Next day, I woke up and I said, oh, man, I wonder if Jeremiah is in the Bible. Got to work, found a Bible, looked in the table of contents. I was like, oh, man, there's a Jeremiah here. I wonder if it has two chapters. Turns out it had two chapters. I wonder if it has 22 verses. Holy cow, it has 22 verses. And I remember the Bible study that I had gone to where it says God still spoke to people in powerful ways through his word. And I, and I closed the Bible and I said, you know, I held onto the page and I said, oh man, God is going to tell me I'm going to be the president of the United States of America. This is awesome. And, um, and then I opened it. I read it once and memorized it. That's never happened to me before or since. It said this. Though you clean yourself with hyssop and wash yourself with soap, the stain of your guilt is still upon you. I wasn't sure what hyssop was, but I was pretty sure that wasn't the President of the United States. I closed the Bible saying to myself, I knew you wanted nothing to do with me because, listen to me, because I had my identity, my booth, was that God doesn't love me. He can't love me. I'm damaged goods. God wants nothing to do with me. I'm too broken, too messed up. I've sinned too badly. If you'd have sinned the way I had, and I had stuff that I thought that I could never be forgiven for, I mean, I'm the biggest sinner in this room. You got to know that. I said, I knew you wanted nothing to do with me. And I said, forget it. I'm out of here. Stopped going to the Bible study. Stopped going to the church. Stopped doing my thing. And one day while I was in the bath, the Lord showed up in a powerful way. And here's what he did. He met me in my booth. He reminded me of a sin that I had committed years before that I thought I could never be forgiven for. It was such a profound sin, I thought that nobody could ever be forgiven for this sin. Now, I'm not going to tell you what that sin is because I think it'll distract you, but you, you've got yours, don't you? Something that maybe you've done that you feel like you could never be forgiven for? He called me. He met me in my booth. And he said, and he spoke one word into that moment, something I hadn't thought about in over a decade. He met me in that moment, and he said, forgiven. He spoke the gospel into my life, that there was nothing that I could do to earn him. Me being nice to my wife doesn't make me a Christian. Me going to church doesn't make me a Christian. None of these things make me a Christian. His forgiveness, his calling, his identity, that's it was his work. I was, I was leaning on my own works. I'm a good guy. I'm better than I was. Nah, it's not that. And because I grew up thinking that you can't cry, at least guys can't, I remember flushing the toilet, turning on the sink, and turning on the shower. And all I did in that sacred, sacred moment was just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And all I heard from him was, not an audible voice, but in my heart, forgiven, forgiven. I never got over that moment. 
I never got over his forgiveness and his love. I never got over that he would forgive me in the dirtiest, grimiest point of my life while I was still in my booth doing my dirt. He was pronouncing forgiveness over my life. You know, he'll do the same for you. He will. He calls you out of your identity. Calls you to himself because he's your savior. Won't you answer? Won't you run to him? Answer him. Say, I'm gonna find Jesus. Where else am I gonna find the words of life? For those of you who are mature and are in Christ, answer him in a more deeper, more profound ways. Ask God to point to things in your heart that you're still holding on to that you don't want him to be the Lord of. For those of you who've never known Christ, come to him now. God, in this moment, you can do business in our hearts. You can speak to us. Lord, would you help us to respond to you, to experience the joy of responding to you, to knowing that you've done everything that we need in order to be saved. You call us out of, your, out of our identity, into your identity, out of our mask, into your light. Lord, draw us to yourself. Make it so that we would see you and you only. Those of us who don't know you will have kidded ourselves to think that while we've received the call, that we've responded to the call. Lord, point out, point to us our self-lies and and make Jesus real to us. Help us, O God, to confess to you our sin. Believe you for your sacrifice and follow you with all our lives. Help us to answer a question. What is a Christian? A Christian is me. That that might be our answer. Because I heard his call and he gave me a new identity and he led me to follow him. May that be all of our stories, oh God. For we do pray in Jesus' name, amen.